Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us in our series, Easter, The Jesus Way. Jesus is our ultimate example for how we should live our lives. In this series, we are looking at Jesus's ministry, from his calling to his victory over the grave. We are walking alongside his journey to the cross, to his death and burial, and then to his resurrection. Each week, we will be deep diving into chapters 15 through 21 of the Gospel of John, leading us all the way to celebrate Christ's victory over the grave on Easter Sunday. Now let's tune in. You know, sometimes in life, uh, we have the wrong perspective. Does anybody ever had a moment when you're like, my perspective is just off? I don't have the right perspective. I don't have the right point of view. That happens to me all the time. Uh, maybe it's a circumstance or maybe it's an adversity or maybe it's just something that you're going through and your perspective is just not where it needs to be. In fact, uh, just a handful of weeks ago, our family had a dose of perspective, me particularly. We had uh, decided to go out of town for a much needed little time away. And if you ever had these moments when you're really excited about maybe leaving town, or you're just excited about a little bit of R&R, a little bit of vacation, and leading up to that, there's what I like to call the comedy of errors. Can anybody ever relate to that? And all you want is so desperately just to not be where you are and something starts unfolding. And so for us, it entailed starting with the day we were, the day we were going to leave, right before we left, our car dies. And so that's perfect timing, you know, trying to get out of town and your car dies. And so we come up with some alternate plans for that and figure out an alternative solution, a vehicle to drive. And then after we figured that out, uh, my almost 10-year-old daughter starts holding her throat and says she doesn't feel well. And there just happened to be a case of strep throat going around her classroom. And you know, that is a very opportunistic disease. And so it just finds a host home wherever it goes. And uh, so we take her to the doctor and sure enough, she has a strep throat and we get her an antibiotic and we're like, okay, car we have fixed, antibiotic we have fixed, let's go on. And so we get there ready for a little bit of R&R and you guessed it, we have another son. The next morning he wakes up, comes downstairs holding his throat, daddy, I don't feel good. And I'm just like, I just wanted some time away. And <laughs> these things just keep unfolding. And so we had chosen to go to a pretty kind of rural area that was not really close to anything, which is awesome when you're wanting some time away, but not awesome when you're needing a doctor. And so we look, and the closest urgent care clinic is an hour and a half away. You heard that correct, 90 minutes. And so I load him up in the car that's not ours that we figured out how to drive and go to this urgent care center. And we arrive 90 minutes later. And from the time we walked in to the time that we actually had an antibiotic in hand, it was not one hour, it was not two hours, it was three hours total plus another 90-minute drive back to where we were. So the whole first day is just blown. And I'm thinking to myself, I, I just wanted some downtime. <laughs> That's all. Is this too much to ask? And so we had kind of kept him quarantined because we hoped nobody else would get sick. And so he and I just have a little quarantine dinner and we're sitting outside and I'd got him some food. And he's talking. He's already feeling better because the antibiotic is kicking in. And out of nowhere, completely unsolicited, completely unannounced, he looked at me and he said, Daddy, Today was uh, not kind of what we thought. I didn't get to play with anybody today, um, and we had to go to that place, and we were there forever. And I said, yeah, buddy, it was kind of a crazy day, wasn't it? And he said, yeah, but I did get to spend the whole day with you, and I don't get to do that very often. (laughs) 
And I'm thinking to myself, God, what a dose of perspective. I had made this day all about me and how it was not going the way that I thought it should go. And this sweet little cherub, who also has an evil side to him, but this sweet little cherub (laughs) said in that moment, we got to spend the whole day together. And we don't get to do that all of the time. And I thought to myself, wow, what a spiritual insight into a really just moment that was not at all what I thought it should be. And I'm thinking to myself, he should actually be the pastor of the church. He's a lot spiritual than I am in this moment. But in those moments, I needed that dose of perspective. And maybe you can relate to that. Those moments where life is just not going the way you think it should go. The, the cards are just not falling the way that you think they should fall, and you have made life about you, or you've made your life about the circumstances, or you've made your life about the situation, and God reminds you that he has a bigger story, that he has a bigger plan, and that he has a bigger perspective. And so this morning, I'm excited that you're here because we're continuing in this series called The Jesus Way, and we're going this morning to John chapter 18. And what I love about John chapter 18 is it is one of these chapters of the Bible that shows us from start to finish the perspective that we should have. In fact, John chapter 18 is going to challenge you in some of the perspectives that you may hold right now. It's going to challenge you to rethink some of the things that you might be holding on to. In fact, there might be some things in John chapter 18 that are really a stretch for you to understand, maybe for the first time, because you've thought, that just doesn't fit in with what I think should happen, or that just doesn't fit in with the way that I think things should be. And so through John chapter 18 today, we're going to pray that God would speak to your heart. And that God would show you clearly what it is that he desires to do in your life and to show you that perspective of who he is and in turn how we are to respond to that and that he would ultimately have free reign to change us in the process. And so if you're ready this morning to be changed, not because of what I have to say, but because of what God has to say through his word, won't you pray with me and just ask God to open up your heart and open up your mind to what it is that he wants to teach you today. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this beautiful morning of life. Thank you, God, for meeting us here. Thank you for a powerful time of worship already, and thank you for your word. And I pray that in our time together today that you would speak to us, that we would decrease and that you would increase, and that you would call people to yourself today and show us, God, who you are, what your mission was and is still, and how we are to respond to that. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. John chapter 18 comes on the heels of, you guessed it, John chapter 17. I know that was really hard for you to grasp. John chapter 17, as Pastor Jacob preached last week, is this beautiful prayer where Jesus begins by praying for himself, and then he transitions his prayer to believers, and then he transitions his prayer to believers that are yet to come. You know who that is? That's you and me. How cool is it that Jesus was praying for you? before you were ever born, and before you had a knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so on the heels of that prayer is where we transition into John chapter 18. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to John 18. You're going to see these words on the screen. You can also follow along with me on a mobile device, or some of them are printed there for you on your worship guide as well. So let's start in verses 1 through 8. So when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kedron Valley. And on the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, "'Who is it you want?' "'Jesus of Nazareth,' they replied." 
I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. So when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. And so Jesus finishes this prayer, and he takes his disciples through the Kidron Valley, which was close, into the Garden of Gethsemane. And Judas follows after him because Judas is betraying Jesus, and he's getting ready to sell out Jesus to these soldiers. And he follows him with a mob of soldiers, and they basically are coming to ambush Jesus. He has this detachment of, show, of soldiers, officials, chief priests, Pharisees, and we're told in Scripture that they're carrying weapons and torches and lanterns. And I find it pretty interesting, though, that Jesus knew exactly where he was going because this was the rendezvous point for him and his disciples to go into the Garden of Gethsemane. I find it interesting that Judas knew exactly where Jesus was going. And you catch this little snippet of the heart of Jesus that Jesus was all about investing in his followers. This was the place where they would go and this was the place Jesus would teach them. This was a place where Jesus would take them and encourage them and spend time with them. And so on the heels of praying for them, Jesus crosses through the Kidron Valley and they go into the Garden of Gethsemane. And it was not a question at all that that's where Jesus was going to be. And so Judas and company show up secretly, armed, ready to ambush Jesus, kind of with pitchforks and axes. And Jesus wasn't trying to hide at all. And yet they had created this moment where they're trying to surprise Jesus and find him in the garden. And we're told right there in Scripture that this was a place that they went frequently, that they would have frequented. And it, It's not a surprise to Jesus that Judas and this mob is coming to ambush him. It's kind of like on a normal Sunday. If a group of five of you got together and you were like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to ambush Jason after the service. And so we're going to leave five minutes before the service is over. And as soon as he says amen, we're going to come to the front of the stage. Well, that's a secret to no one. After every service, when I say amen, I go stand right here at the front of the stage. So you're not surprising me. If you walk towards me on the front of the stage, we're going to get him. We're going to walk right to the front of the stage where he is. It's almost as if Jesus left a trail of breadcrumbs for Judas and said, follow these little steps. Follow me to the place that we always go. And upon their arrival, instead of being ambushed, listen to what Jesus says to Judas. Go back to verse 4. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? How cool is this? Jesus beats his betrayers and his attackers to the punchline. And he says, who is it that you want? And this is a core theological truth for us this morning. And it is a rich theological truth. But it's also one of those truths that might be hard for us to grasp. And it might be hard for us to understand. In fact, it might require us to have a little bit of a perspective shift this morning. And you see it here on your notes. Jesus was not shocked by the Father's plans for him. This is key for us to understand today that Jesus was not shocked by God's plans for him. It would be a shame for us to think that there could have been any other way for us to be made right. See, Jesus was and is the only way for you to be made right. And Jesus willfully fulfilled that role. He joyfully before what was set before him, fulfilled the role that God had for him, and it was the purpose for which he was sent. And it's not just the Gospels that tell us this. In fact, so much of the Old Testament, many of the Old Testament prophecies attest to this as well. Listen to what Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 and 5 says, Surely he took up our pain 
and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. See, this is what the prophet Isaiah says several hundred years before Jesus was ever born. He said, through the Messiah that will come, you can experience healing, and he's going to be pierced for your transgressions. And it's his iniquities are going to be what brings you the healing. See, this was prophesied long before Jesus was ever born. So how much sweeter is it knowing that Jesus wasn't out of the loop of God's plan for him? He was ready to fulfill God's plan. Jesus wasn't in the dark. And see, this is what separates Christianity from literally every other world religion is that Jesus willfully followed through with God's plan for him, and his life was offered as a sacrifice, and we'll continue to celebrate that and to remember that over these weeks to come. But Jesus was willing to die for his followers. He was dying for the very one who would betray him, and it was only through his death and his burial and the resurrection that the sins of humanity could be atoned for and be made right. My friends, that's what separates Jesus from every other leader of every other world religion. Mohammed, Buddha, they did not die for their followers. They did not raise from the dead. They never claimed that they were going to. It's what separates Jesus. But yet Jesus wasn't shocked by God's plan. And maybe that's a perspective change for you. And maybe today's the first time that you're seeing just how holy and just how set apart Jesus is. Jesus didn't run from God's plan, but rather embraced it because he knew there was no other way for you and I to be made right. And my hope and my prayer is that that knowledge would profoundly impact you today and profoundly impress up on you God's love for you and God's grace and his mercy for you. And so he's meeting with these disciples and he's led this group of disciples for uh, a couple of years. And so, of course, you would imagine that all of Jesus's disciples got the big picture, right? You would imagine that they never, they never kind of struggled with understanding the perspective of Jesus, that they had the right perspective all the time, correct? I mean, they never struggled. On the contrary, the very people who walked with Jesus, even in this moment, struggled to see often the perspective that he had. Let's keep going in verse 10. Keep in mind that Jesus has just told the uh, Judas and the betrayers that I'm he, I'm the one that you're looking for, I'm not trying to run from you. But look in verse 10. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. And the servant's name was Malchus. And Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? And then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus, and they bound him. And they brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. And Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for his people. See, here you have Peter one of Jesus' closest disciples, who is full of love for Jesus. He's full of drive. He's full of passion. And he sees the accusers coming. And so what does he do? He pulls out a sword and lops off the ear of one of the soldiers. He takes matters into his own hands. Why would he do this? I can't help but think that Peter thought he was being helpful. Because in his mind, he did not have a story that was written like this. In his mind, he thought there has to be another way. Because for this to happen, for these accusers to come and to betray my Lord, I have to step up and do something about that. And so he takes these draconian measures and pulls out a sword and lops off this guy's ear, to which Jesus says, Peter, put away your sword. <laughs> this is, in fact, God's plan for me. 
And what we learn from Peter in this moment is that Jesus did not need someone presenting a different perspective for him. Jesus didn't need Peter to be thinking through what Jesus wasn't able to think through in that moment. Because it's almost as if Peter's kind of put himself in a position of God and he's saying, "Mm, I'm not really sure that Jesus knows what's going on here, so let me save the day. Let me be the Savior, and let me be the one who makes everything right. But rather, what Jesus was wanting Peter to get is, Peter, I want you to see it from my point of view. This was God's plan for you. You may not understand what God is doing. And in fact, Peter, you might try to add to it. But rather, I want you to trust me. Now, maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you've had a moment in your life when God has spoken very clearly to you. God has made it very abundantly clear who he is and what his plans are for you. And sometimes we can't trust that at God's word. And so what do we do? We try to add to it, don't we? Or we try to say, oh, God, I know that you said that, but really, I think this is a better plan. Or God, I understand what you're doing. That makes sense to me, but I think I would be a little bit more comfortable with this. Or maybe God in his infinite wisdom, he's bringing clarity to you in some area of your life right now. And instead of trusting that, you're saying, well, I would actually rather there be another plan because the plan that I had in my mind is better than what I feel like Jesus is wanting me to do right now. Or that doesn't match up. And maybe you can relate to that where you've had those moments where the Lord has made himself abundantly clear. He's showing you who he is and what he desires to do. And instead of seeking to fulfill that promise, maybe you're trying to add to it. I want you to understand this this morning, as I'm trying to understand this myself, and you see it here on the screen, is that you never then need to take matters into your own hands to fulfill the mission of God. You don't need to take matters into your own hands to fulfill the mission of God. Now, do your hands have to get to work? Absolutely. Do you have work to do? 100%. Does God invite you into that work? You betcha. But do you have to be in charge? Absolutely not. Are you the one that is calling all the shots? No, not at all. So we don't have to take matters into our own hands. And that's what Peter was doing. He was kind of taking matters into his own hands for a minute thinking, I'm going to show Jesus how much I love him by adding on to what Jesus has already said he was going to accomplish. And Jesus said, no, this is the way. So trust my plan and trust that I am working. See, there's a really big difference between fulfilling the mission of God and seeking to add to the mission of God. There's a big difference between fulfilling and trying to add to. It's kind of like if you've ever been in charge of a project or you've ever been in charge of a process or maybe you've been in charge of an event and you have thought through as much as you can about that project. You have come up with scenarios. You have come up with a a thought process. You have a plan that you are putting into play. And you realize in that moment, the most helpful thing would be if everybody just kind of followed my plan. In fact, life would be a lot easier if people just did what we told them to do, right? I mean, I mean, just if people just kind of did what you told them to do, then life would be so much so much better. Things would go so much better if everybody just followed exactly what I wanted to say or what you wanted to say. But you've had those moments, haven't you, where you've thought everything through. You have a plan, and what would really make your day is compliance to the plan. We don't need more suggestions right now. We don't need more ideas. We don't need people taking matters into their own hands. I really wish they would just be compliant to the plan. And it's in essence what Jesus is saying. Peter, I have a plan, and if you would fulfill my plan, that's where joy comes. That's where a deep understanding comes. That's where the perspective comes. But you're trying to add to it. So when it comes to following Jesus, 
I'm going to give you the freedom this morning. You do not have to wake up tomorrow and be in charge. How good is that? When it comes to following Jesus, you don't have to wake up tomorrow and call all the shots. But rather, you wake up tomorrow and say, Lord, I want to fulfill what it is that you desire to do. Why? Because he's already in charge. And you and I seek to fulfill those purposes. Now, Peter's this interesting character, and so we're going to continue with him. Because in John chapter 18, we get this beautiful snapshot into Peter's life. Now, Peter walked with Jesus. Peter saw the miracles. Peter observed that Jesus wasn't hiding from the authorities. In fact, Peter noticed that Jesus wasn't afraid of Judas. But nonetheless, Peter takes the matters into his own hands to protect Jesus and cuts off this guy's ear and Jesus preaches him this mini-sermon, and so you think Peter would have grasped it by now, right? I mean, this is lots of opportunities for him to really get it. He's been with Jesus, physically with Jesus. Surely he gets it, but what you're going to continue to see, Jesus is taking him by the authorities. He's taken and he's getting ready to be unjustly tried, and we continue to see this snapshot of Peter played out here, and it's so relevant for us today, and my hope and my prayer is it's an encouraging to us today as well. So scroll down to verse 15. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. And the other disciple who was known to the high priest came back and spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter, and he replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire that they had made to keep warm. And Peter was also standing with them, warming himself. So picture this. Picture this. The disciples have followed Jesus. Jesus has been betrayed by Judas. They've come with a mob mentality to take Jesus away. They're taking him into the court of the high priest. And so Peter and the other disciples are following Jesus. But Peter had to wait outside because he wasn't known like the other disciples were. And so he's waiting outside. And one of the other disciples comes back out to get Peter, to bring him back in. But there's one person in Peter's way, and it's the bouncer. It's the guard. It's the protector of the door. And did you guys catch who the bouncer was? A teenage girl. Let's give her her name, Sophie. Let's just call her Sophie. There's like a 16-year-old girl in charge of manning the door. And she looks at Peter and says, so are you like one of this guy's disciples too? I mean, she was clearly a valley girl. So are are you one of this guy's disciples as well? To which Peter replies to a teenager, I am not. I'm not one of his disciples. Couldn't acknowledge that he had just been with Jesus to a doorkeeper who was a teenager. Peter replies, I am not. But let's keep going. Scroll down to verse 25. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. Then one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. So now we're three times in to where Peter has denied knowing Jesus. The first of which is to Sophie, the doorkeeper. The second of which is to this group that has gathered around the bonfire, maybe making s'mores. 
And they say, don't we recognize you as the one who was with Jesus, the one who was in here claiming to be the Messiah, the one who was in here being tried? Weren't you one of his disciples as well? Peter says, no, that's not me. And then if that's not enough, this high priest shows up who just happens to be related to the guy that lost the year and says, no, I think I recognize you. You were with him today because Uncle Johnny lost his ear, and I'm pretty sure it was your sword that did it. I recognize you. And Peter's like. So he goes from not being able to acknowledge the knowing Jesus to a teenage girl to then to a group of those gathered around a fire to then not even being able to acknowledge that he knows Jesus to an eyewitness of the ear situation. And you're thinking to yourself, what's going on here? Why is Peter struggling so much? Why can't Peter acknowledge knowing who Jesus is? Peter could not acknowledge that yet. Was Jesus done with Peter? No, not at all. In fact, go with me to Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. This is another one of the gospel accounts. And I want you to listen to how Jesus referred to Peter in this other gospel account. And he says, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. This is so good, my friends. That you have this guy who in one moment cannot acknowledge even knowing Jesus to a group of people, cannot even identify that he was in the presence of Jesus. But Jesus says to the same guy, your name is Peter, and I will build the church on you, and the gates of hell will not prevail. I'm not sure that there is a clearer picture this morning that I could show you of Jesus's mission and of Jesus's love for you than in this story. And for some of us, it's going to require a big perspective shift for us today because we cannot get there today. We cannot wrap our mind around the gravity of God's love for us, the gravity of Jesus's love for you. Maybe you're struggling this morning to really grasp just how good God is and how much he loves you. And so maybe this morning you'll realize for the first time, and I hope and pray that some of you realize this for the very first time today, that nothing you have ever or will ever do changes the way Jesus feels about you. Isn't that good news? that nothing you have ever or will ever do changes the way that Jesus feels about you. I mean, go back to verse 7. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter, and he replied, I am not. How incredibly rich is it that Jesus didn't hold that against Peter, yet he still used Peter in a very profound way. And the church was built up on Peter, and praise God, Peter was obedient to follow the call of God in his life because here we are in Nolensville, Tennessee, some 2,000 years later continuing the mission because the church was built on Peter, on the rock. I don't know what's in the past of every person in this room. I don't know what every person in this room is struggling with right now, but when you have a room that is full of people, I know there are some stories here today. And I know that there are some hurts here today. And I know there are some struggles here today. I know that there are some things maybe from your past that you're ashamed of, or maybe there's some things that you're currently going through that are embarrassing to you and they're sinful and you're looking for freedom and you're looking for hope. Maybe it's an alcohol addiction. Or maybe it's uh, an addiction to pornography, or, or maybe it's gossip. Or maybe it's just a propensity to cheat or to kind of work around the truth a little bit. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's infidelity in the past 
or infidelity in the present. Maybe it's unkind words, but I want you to know through the person of Jesus Christ, you can be made whole today. And you can be forgiven of that sin and you can walk in the newness of life. It doesn't matter what you have done, my friends. It will never change how Jesus feels about you. It does not matter what you have done. It will never change how Jesus feels about you and it never diminishes what Jesus came to do for you, to die for your sin. And if you commit your life to follow him, he no longer sees you as the liar or the dwindler or the cheat, or the addict anymore, but rather he sees you as a redeemed, holy child of God. Denying Jesus had zero impact on the truth that Jesus loved Peter, and that Jesus was going to take the cross for Peter. And that's a hard truth for some of us to grasp. Why? Because our human perspective says, I don't deserve that. My human perspective says, I'm not good enough for that. My human perspective struggles with that concept of grace. In fact, in my human way of living, I said, if you did to me what Peter did to Jesus, I would be done with you. The last thing I'd want to do would be forgive you. The last thing I'd want to do would be to make a way for you to be made right. And of course, the last thing I would do would be sacrifice myself for your benefit. But that's precisely what Jesus did. Whereas we operate under the premise sometimes of if you hurt me, you deny me, you drag my name through the mud, the last thing I want to do is be there for you. But Jesus said to the very denier three times over, on you I will build my church. Let's keep going to verse 28. So then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor, and by now it was early morning. And to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. And Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate then went back inside the palace. He summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. And with this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. And now Barabbas had taken part in the uprising. So in the face of the betrayal, in the face of his disciples not being able to acknowledge him, in the face of the arrest with no actual charges, the hitting, the slapping, the unjust treatment, Jesus never wanes on his mission. He never ever wanes on what it is that he came to do. In fact, he reminded Pilate again in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. And if it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest. Oh, well, Peter was trying. He was cutting off people's ears, and I stopped it. 
But my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Jesus says, I'm not of this world. The agenda that I have is truly otherworldly. It is heavenly, is of eternal significance. And Jesus is saying, I have an entirely different agenda for this world. I'm not like everyone else. I don't only love those in the world who can love in return, but rather I yearn for everyone to come to the knowledge of Christ and to repent of their sins. And this is a mind-blowing truth. It's a mind-blowing concept that certainly is going to challenge that perspective. But did you know that Jesus' mission was to not only save Peter, but it was to save Judas, it was to save the high priest, it was to save Pilate. Jesus' mission was not just to save those who would love him and those who would serve him, but rather he also came to die for those that were mocking him and those who insulted him and those ultimately who would put him to death. Jesus yearned for those first century accusers to trust him and see who he is. It's why he said to Pilate, I want you to understand that I came to speak the truth. I came to speak the truth. To which Pilate replied, what is truth? What is truth? That sounds a lot like 2023, doesn't it? (laughs) What is truth? Is there any absolute truth or is truth all relative? Do I kind of chart my own way or do I make my own path? See, Pilate was grappling with the same concepts we understand today. What is truth? Are there multiple truths? Are there multiple ways to get to God? Are there multiple ways for you and I to be made right? Because it seems really close-minded from a cultural perspective for there to only be one way, the Jesus way. But yet he is the only one who is worthy and he was the only one who has died for his followers who would not only accept him, but those who wouldn't. See, relative truth sounds really, really good until your idea of who's good is different from my idea of who's good. (laughs) That's the problem. The problem with all these multiple ways is it's all fine and well until your idea of good is different than your idea of good. And then we're at an impasse. And that what, that's the moment when we, when we clamor for there to be eternal truth and for there to be hope and for there to be the way, the truth, and the life that we don't find our own path, but rather we follow the Jesus way. And so in the life of Jesus, through the life of Jesus, as he fulfilled his purpose, he came to die for the vilest of the vile, the meanest of the mean, to transform us into holy men and women. And so this morning, I want to close with this. Jesus' mission is to save you and me. Jesus' mission was not just to save Peter, Judas, the high priest, and the pilot. Jesus' mission is also to save you and me. John 3, 17 reminds us that God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but rather to save the world through him. Isn't it incredibly encouraging this morning to know that Jesus didn't come to condemn you, but rather he came to save you? And you don't earn that, and you don't deserve that, and you're never good enough for that. And it's going to require a completely different perspective shift for you to accept that. But yet through Christ, we have purpose and we have meaning. And so this morning, I want to encourage you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And I want you to grapple with this question. What needs to change in your life right now or in your heart right now or in your attitude right now today to align with him? Or maybe there's something in your family that needs to change for you to truly be centered on what matters. What is it that God wants to do in and through you today? And are you willing to follow him? Are you trying to add your own plans? Or are you going to trust him? 
Are you struggling with the concept of grace? Or are you going to believe that he's done for you what you could never do for yourself? Because he is here. He is with us. He is in this place. And he desires to change our lives today. If we'll shift our perspective to trust him, to believe in him, and to accept him today. The only way. The Jesus way. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with someone in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.